where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Hear now these words from the gospel that we've come to know as Mark. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized. They were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Hmm. It's such a simple phrase, isn't it? Prepare ye the way. And then echoes of Godspell go through your head with the drums picking up and the tempo increasing and just repeating it again and again and again. And I really thought I was going to go a different way this morning, but when I stood in front of my computer, all I could think about was the one week that I served as a prep cook in a Mexican restaurant. Onions, avocados, tomatoes, limes, and jalapenos. Repeat, onions, avocados, tomatoes, limes, jalapenos, cutting until I felt I could not cut any further or any more. Always at least five to 10 times slower than the other prep cooks that were in the kitchen. Onions, avocados, tomatoes, limes, jalapenos. It's a wonder I lasted a week. And considering the time that has lapsed since then, I probably didn't, I'm just remembering it better than it was. I was nobody. The chef was who we worked for and never to be confused with a different back-of-the-house employee, the hat and the uniform set the chef apart. That visual of a chef walking through the kitchen was a very vivid image of the parting of the sea, if you will. And you learn this hierarchy in a kitchen quickly. 
And you can observe it as well in restaurants that are designed with an open kitchen concept. I love those restaurants because I love to watch the full kitchen in operation. The prep cooks, the line cooks, the sous chef, the executive chef, the supporting roles of dishwasher, busser, expediter. I was a little more effective in those roles of dishwasher, busser, and expediter. And it just was meaningful to be a part of the life of the kitchen. And I learned that the executive chef doesn't just cook. The executive chef does stuff during the daytime, before the dinner shift, which is the premier shift, if you will. The executive chef creates the menu of what will be offered and creates specials based on maybe a limited supply or an abundant supply. The chef creates new recipes purchases ingredients, interacts with vendors or farmers or fisher people. And if the gospel message was restaurant-based, John would be a sous chef de cuisine, the second in command, because John prepares the way for the one that is to come. John says, I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. He's getting the kitchen in order for when the chef comes. And the chef staff is working toward that end, toward that time when the chef and the chef's recipes will transform ingredients and create cuisine, that's a hard one to say, create cuisine that nourish and sustains life. And so we are learning this new cuisine. Examining the actions and the ingredients that habitually shape our diets and wondering if they're working toward that end of creating meals, if you will, or cuisine that nourishes and sustains life. And our examination is rooted in our truths. It's rooted in the onions and avocados and tomatoes and limes and jalapenos of our lives. That stuff that's in our refrigerator or on our counter. The sharp and the sour. The comfort and the fire of our lives. We are all of these and more. We are sweet and we are salty. We are crunchy and we are smooth. It's the taste and texture of who we are. And there is such a thing as too much sweetness. And there is such a thing as too much comfort. I love the expression, fat equals flavor, but too much fat will ruin a dish. And I'm using fat in this way as the comfort. This addiction to sweetness and to comfort can be an obstacle and can provide a numbing effect. I mean, the addiction to sugar is very real. I know that firsthand. Um, I really have to abstain from raw sugar and sugary products because I, I think it's, I know it's because sugar is metabolized the same way alcohol is and coming from an alcoholic family, I need to be careful of that. It's easy for me to moderate alcohol, but not sugar. 
And so anyone, there's even someone in here with a head nodding today, like, yes, it is an addiction. And your teeth can hurt, and your head can hurt, but you still crave it and want more. And those are obstacles to life-giving cuisine because that's not the substance of life. And that's not something that's going to nourish or nurture ourselves or others. And the people that went out to John, they knew this. They knew hardship and they knew oppressive leadership. Their lives were not overly sweet and their lives were not comfortable. And so we who have access to so much that comforts and so much that offers sweet, we need to remember that this new place, this place that will feel discomfort at mine taste sour, is actually a place of new growth is actually that place in the wilderness where we are baptized into this new way, into a way that will work for all people and not just for us. So those people came out to John the Baptist as perhaps we are coming today, seeking a new way, and they were about to learn what that new way would require of them. Because having really severely limited the amount of sugar in my diet, there are other tastes that open up and sweetness that can be detected when it is very, very subtle. It's not overpowered by what is not useful, maybe. It's a learning and it's an unlearning to go out into the wilderness and to follow this voice and to be a part of this new movement. There's a Haitian proverb that says, what the eye doesn't see doesn't move the heart. And I know that it seemed like it was everyone in our country. Um, it, was a, it was a monumental moment in our country when the image of George Floyd moved our hearts with repulsion, with horror, with a deep, deep pain. It was a moment of, of awakening, of advent. But that feels like a long time ago now for some of us. And so what else is moving your heart or what is moving your heart these days how are you doing with your commitment to what this new way asks of you the people that went out and were baptized by john was a be this was a beginning and i know it's normal in the spiritual journey to always feel like we're at the beginning because in many ways we always are but our commitment is always tested will you be there for the baptism of the spirit or was the baptism of just water more than enough 
there has to be an image or there has to be something that keeps us honoring that commitment. And what is it? Where did you learn that? And this is both a personal and a communal question. Which voices and images are crying out in the wilderness today? Which voices and images are crying out in the wilderness still? Saying, this is not palatable. This is not acceptable. Send it back. Or make a new way forward because God is coming to us. And not just God coming to us, the universal us, but we must go to God as well. And I have to tell you that a couple weeks ago, I was noticing that I was avoiding going to God. Now, I can tell you that I still meditated every day and uh, still prayed every day, but you know how you can do that sometimes? You can go through the motions of things that you're supposed to do or that you've committed to do, but there's a part you hold back. I was holding back a part. And so driving is helpful for me in those moments. And I finally acknowledged that I was holding back, that I wasn't turning to God, and I just admitted that I was tired. You know, I mean like really tired. And in the admitting of that, I love what the Spirit did. You know, I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. The Spirit took that prayer and turned it into a spiritual that I sang for the rest of the day, off and on. Precious Lord, take my hand. Now there's an image. If I am going to be held and if we are going to hold hands, that's a beautiful image of the commitment to this work that we are doing and that we are asked to do. So whether you are weary or encouraged, depressed or energized, anxious or grounded, discouraged or hopeful, or anything else, or all of it, wherever you are on life's journey, let your eyes turn inward and invite the presence of Christ into this moment with you. Don't hold anything back. And let's see what the Spirit will do.